pray. Lord, we thank and praise you that you are amazing and reckless and uh, unstoppable in your desire to bring your kingdom to earth, to bless and to strengthen and encourage your people who you long to be light and love in the world. So we bless you, Lord, and we praise you. We can believe deep things. We can live in an amazing love relationship. And we can grow together as your people, seeking to bring your kingdom wherever you send us. Will you join me in praying, please, the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? If you don't know those words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. our sins as we forgive those. Please be seated. Thank you for praising and thank you for praying. We continue our series on the church in exile, flourishing in exile. Can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah chapter 29. There's a page number there on the screen. And I'd like to start with uh, just a little bit of personal sharing, if I may. After this last service, I had a whole bunch of people want to talk to me. And uh, it just strikes me again. So I'm up right in the front. I'm going to let you know. I am very convinced that what we're talking about together for the next two years is right. But what I don't know is how to communicate this effectively without being hurtful. And so in the last service, for example, we're going to talk about this week and next, spoke at holiness. And I offended some people at the first service. And so my email address is Kevin K. I'm, not, I'm serious here, trcpella.com. And if something I say is hurtful or offensive, would you please let me know? Because I really like us together to work through what this means to be people who flourish in exile. So what I'd like to do every week is start the teaching time with real quickly inviting you to share um, slide number two, please. Um, could we just take two or three minutes and could we share where you were able to flourish this week? I'm going to reinforce the idea of flourishing. I'm going to tell you a story. And then I'd like to weekly read quickly from Jeremiah 29 and just give you one or three quotes that help to describe exile. And last week, uh, we ran out of bibliographies, and I don't want to name all the places I'm referring to, so the bibliography's there, they're at the Welcome Centers. Um, so I would like to read every weekly, so weekly, Flourish, Jeremiah 29, three statements about where culture is, and then we'll go to First Peter. So that's what I like to do weekly. So a story, and then I'd like to invite us to share flourishing. Uh, this is with permission, last week, uh, a husband or wife, grandpa and grandma, about my age, had their little grandson from another city near Des Moines uh, with them. And uh, as part of their evening rituals, they pray together. And as they prayed with this little one, um, part of the praying was for his little school. So on Monday morning, grandpa and grandma drove this young person to the school in the city of Waukee. And as the, uh, grandma was walking in, the little guy, she just felt a nudge that she needed to say to the teacher, we prayed for you last night. But then she felt kind of funny, like, how would it be received? What would happen to this little grandson? You know. So she went, went, brought the little guy into school, and then she came back and said to the teacher, um, said his little name, 
we prayed for you last night. Is that okay that we prayed for you? And the comment from the teacher was, oh, please, please keep praying for us. There's one example of someone from our church family who flourished in exile last week. Can we take like two minutes? Could you be, if you're able, if you're willing, if you choose, could you share where you've been flourishing this week? Just give one example. Where did you flourish this week? If you don't want to do it, you don't need to, pretend you're praying. Otherwise, take a minute and actually share. Flourishing in exile. On your marks, get set, go. Give it a shot. Thank you so much. Now, can you open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah 29? Let me read just four verses, or a few verses, and then a couple quick statements, and let's, I want to take you through 1 Peter. So Jeremiah 29, this is the kind of the, the, the foundational passage for our year exile. We're going to read chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile, those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. The city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. People of God, this is the word of God. So the whole point of this is God took his people from one place, put them in another, and asked them to flourish. He said, pray, seek prosperity, do your best, help your city become what it can be. Now remember, the context is exile. Didn't feel good, wasn't wonderfully received, but God says, I have a place for you, I have a plan for you, I want to use you for kingdom purposes. So what I'd like to do now is remind you of what we're talking about. We're moving, we moved into exile. Whether we understand or not, what I've been trying to suggest is to be, to be in exile is to be marginalized. So for 17 centuries, Christendom was the center of Western culture. It is now way in the margins. Let me give you weekly a couple examples of how things are changing. Three quick ones. Here's the first. The way we receive information today, primarily through our cable news, internet, whatever source we use, which is instant and blended with entertainment, is changing how Americans perceive information, and thus it is changing how Americans experience the world. I'm quoting now. Americans live in a state of present and continual shock. The constant barrage of news, information, and debates adds to chaos and leads to very little understanding. Now, I'm, reading, I'm not going to source it all, 80, 80, there's books right there if you want to get them. Information centers. How about this one? Media is constantly fighting for a worldview. Binge used to be a negative word. Today, binge is a liberating experience when talking about our favorite shows. What's that about? What messages, tones, beliefs, and spirits are we opening ourselves up to? The un uncritical embrace of an emerging culture that not only accepts but improves entertainment of every kind on which we binge, listen to the next phrase, will deform your spiritual relationship with Jesus. The issue is not how does our binging affect us, but rather how could our binging not affect us. Last one, and this is, stay with me, I gotta read seven bullets. These are the beliefs that are shaping our culture. It comes from multiple sources. Listen to these shapings. The highest good in America today is individual freedom, individual happiness, self-definition, 
and self-expression. Traditions, religions, that which has been given to us from the past that in any way respects personal choice, individual freedom, personal definition, or self-definition must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. A little Markley baby just, just singing to us. God bless you, honey. Way to go, Daddy. Way to go. So what has been there is being reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Listen to the next one. The world will inevitably, this is the, this is the thought of culture. Our world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. Technology will enhance our personal freedoms. The primary social ethic in America today is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Any, any deviation from this is dangerous, quote-unquote, and will not be tolerated. Social justice in America today is not about class. It is about individuality. And the last one, forces of external authority are to be rejected and personal authenticity is always to be applauded. The culture is rapidly changing. So what, what Christendom used to hold as the norms has now been moved to the side. And now we are asked in this context, in this time, in this place, to be people who flourish. And what I'm going to ask you to do is don't be negative, don't be pessimistic, don't be fearful. But rather say, Lord, you have led us here in this time in this place. You've placed us here this time in this place. Now, will you help us to flourish? Help us to be women and men and boys and girls who look like and act like Jesus. So that's where we're going to go. Now, let me give you one sentence, slide four. This is my sentence for this week and next. This is what I'm trying to say. Flourishing exiles are grounded upon hope and are directed by holiness. I'm going to just poke at holiness today. I'm going to focus on hope. And here's been my aha. On Monday nights, the teachers meet in our home in, the, in our basement, and we, we process this. And the, one of the part of the big conversation the last two weeks came around this. Holiness, which is not led by hope, just becomes rules and regulations and who's in and who's out. So I'm going to use this example multiple times. So without hope, holiness just becomes rules. It becomes legalistic. And in that kind of a context, as people on the margins, we have no voice in culture. But what I'm going to suggest to you is if we don't live as people grounded with hope, and I'm going to explain what that means, we're in trouble. Okay, you follow me? So this is the sentence. We're going to, we're going to focus on hope now. Now, can you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1? And let me tell you one story, and then I'm going to go through this a bit. 1 Peter 1, 13 through chapter 2. 2 chapter 2. I'm going to source this next quote. So Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish psychiatrist, I believe, and writer. He wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And in the book, he tells this story. There was a famous musician, another Jewish person in the concentration camp with him. Because Dr. Frankel was trusted, this young man felt free to say to him that he felt he would be freed. And so Dr. Frankel carefully just said, well, what, what, what date is that? And the man said, March 30th. 
So as they get closer and closer to March 30th, this is what happened. On the 29th, the 29th, he said the 30th. On the 29th, the man suddenly became ill. On the 30th, he became delirious and lost consciousness. On the 31st, he was dead. The doctor said he died of typhus. Listen to his quote. But to all those who know how close the connection is between the state of a person's mind and the state of the immunity in your body will understand that the loss of hope can have a deadly effect. He lost hope and he died. What I want you to see this morning is this idea of hope. No, but hope is not. Hope is not. I hope I catch this. That's not hope. Hope is to have anticipation that what God has promised will happen. It's to believe things that have happened which bring credibility to what Christ has promised. We have anticipation that that will happen. And if we don't have that hope, we're drying up. I don't, I, again, I don't mean to be you know, yucky and anything like that. So for KevinKTRCPillow.com. But what's interesting to me is the level of medications we are requiring as a culture right now. We're, the level of alcohol use, drug use, all, all the things that are part of us today, us, this church, us, to me speaks to a feeling of hopelessness. We, we just don't know how to cope in a culture that is changing so rapidly or being marginalized so quickly when the news is always so negative we're being shaped in so many ways and we're losing our hope. So what I want you to see now in this passage is hope is key. Can I have the picture of the geese, please? So last week someone said to me, you used too many words and not enough pictures. <laughs> Here's my try. <laughs> what I'd like to suggest is what if we are like this flock of geese somehow? And what I want you to see from 1 Peter is the word hope is at the front of the geese. The word hope is in the middle of the geese. And the word hope is at the back end. And if we lose hope, we can't keep flying together. So having said that, chapter 1, beginning at 1 Peter 1, verse 13. And I'm going to teach it through a little bit this morning. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, would you notice, that, notice the phrasing? With minds that are fully alert and alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Now, look up a second. This is, this is where I got to be careful, but I want to be clear with you. So far, in 1 Peter, it's, it's called the indicative mood. It's a mood of information, sharing information. Just in, these, these are facts, information. Right here, the mood changes. And now the mood, the rest of the book is imperative, which is like this. Pay attention. So the phrase, set your minds, literally, this is the literal Greek translation. Gird the loins of your minds and be alert. And that day, men, women, women wore long robes. How you would run is you take your robe, you wrap it between your legs, so your legs are free, and you put a belt around it. So the imagery is wrap up your robes, put a belt on it. Now, this is what you got to do with your mind. You got to get your mind ready to go. And it's not like, would you consider it? It's very strong language. Set your minds. Let me stop for a second. One of our daughters-in-law is very involved in research and work with Dr. Daniel Amen out of Los Angeles, California. 
He's one of the preeminent brain people in America. He's written all kinds of books, seminars. You see him on PBS, NPR, all over. Daniel, A-M-E-N. And he argues very persuasively with very simple work that what happens here affects everything. So listen to the sentence now. Simplified. All of your life is lived between your ears. What happens here moves to here. What moves to here moves to here. So he says now, set your minds, set your minds, gird the loins of your minds. You gotta think, you gotta think, you gotta think. Set your minds on what? What's he saying next? On the grace that is brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed on the last day. Look at the phrase. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed when Jesus returns. So your orientation has to be forward. Set your mind, think clearly, think about what's coming. Now let, hold it for a stop for a second. Go back to verse three. So here's the first hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A risen Christ offers hope. It is a living hope, a dynamic hope. And I've said this now multiple times over the past year. I observe that we are so strong on the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. And that's right. But what I observe is we are not nearly as engaged with the resurrection. We live in resurrection power. The Holy Spirit is poured out on a resurrection people. That is what is given to us. We have to live in that. So he says, set your hope on the fact that Christ died and rose. What does that mean? That those who are dead will rise. John 11, don't you realize Jesus said that you will never die? So when our son died, no he didn't. He went from this room to the next room. He's with us here and now he's with Jesus in the next room, in the next place. Set your mind. You got you to think now. You got to think on the hope that came when Jesus rose from the dead. Let me ask you a question. How often do you think about the risen, risenness of Jesus? I'll tell you what. When your 27-year-old son dies, you think about it all the time. You can't stop thinking about it. You think about it all the time. But that's, that's the front part of the geese. But in verse 13, what does he say? In verse 13, set your hope to be brought when Christ is revealed. There is hope because he is coming again to make things right. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, this comes from Leviticus chapter 11 and chapter 19, be holy because I am holy. And look how he describes it. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time on the earth as, look at the next word, foreigners, exiles, aliens, here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that's, that's cheap, you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. How much love is in this story? Are we just saying reckless love? Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but Jesus was revealed in these last times for 
your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorify him. And so your faith and your, what's the word? Are in God. So go back to what I, the quote I gave you about binge, binge viewing of whatever show you want to watch, whatever, whatever series, whatever you want to watch. One of our kids, couples, watches X show. And they're telling me all different things about it. And, and it's, it's, it's a great show. Good, a lot of good to it. But my question, which I did not ask them, was this. So that show, Madam Secretary, that show is shaping their view of politics and life and culture today. And I said, what's commensurate? So what are you thinking about Christ and his kingdom? So you have 15, 20 hours of Madam Secretary. Good show. How much of the things you put here that you can set your minds, gird up the loins of your mind, and think about the hope that you have, the hope that is given, and the hope that's coming. Because otherwise, when tragedy comes, we just, oh, no, and the media just, I can't. I just feel like an old guy. So young people, forgive me, forgive me. But I'm watching my own kids. In the way that God made you, you've got to get the things of God into your head. You have to. You have to figure out how God made you and wired you, and you have to set your minds so that it affects everything else. I got a phrase that I wrote down that goes like this. If God is to have your heart, First, he must have your mind. And I'm just, let me push. So how much are you thinking about the things of Christ and his kingdom? How much? So if you're living in exile and life is just getting crazier and crazier, and I, I told you this, if the experts are right, Google, Amazon, 10, 12 countries, companies are going to control much of who we are as a, as a world. And decision makers, for example, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. But Google now has 100 definitions, designations for sexuality. I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, I don't understand. I, I just think penis, vagina. I, I don't understand. But I'm living in a world where there are many people who self-identify and self-express in many, many different ways. So how, 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 do, how do we live in a world when I don't, I don't even know? One of someone I know was just in a university somewhere, and in, in, the, in the university they had to self-designate what pronouns and how they wish to be understood as a person. And there were person has to stand before the class and indicate multiple pronouns and words to describe them. See, that's, that, that, that's I, 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 don't, I don't even know. So in a world that I don't understand, that's changing so rapidly, or the things that just don't, I, I don't know how to connect the dots, and I feel so back on the margins, I need to have a place of strength. I need a place of, 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 of stability. 
I need a place that I can, from which I can flourish. So he begins now, set your hope, hope, hope. So back to the, back to the uh, picture again, please. So if I, if I was going to describe it to you in front of the first, I don't know this is true. Hunter told me the first duck is just, he's probably the weakest one. He's going like crazy and everyone behind saying, you can do it, dude, you can do it, you can do it. <laughs> right? That's chapter one, verse three. Right in the middle, there's a whole bunch of geese, and they're all honking, and they're waving, and that's verse 113, chapter 1, verse 13. And the back end, the back of all the geese is chapter 1, verse 21, and the emphasis is on hope, 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 Christ rose, Christ, you get life in Christ, Christ is coming again, hope, 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 hope. Question for you, do you have or you're like the person I described in Viktor Frankl's book, the book about meaning. Without hope, we die. Am I making sense? <laughs> All right, here we go. Verse uh, 22. Now that you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, I want you to see that phrase. Love one another deeply from the heart. So next week, can I have slide um, four again, Susan? So this week we're talking about hope. Next week, holiness. Let me give you the synonyms I'm going to use for holiness next week. Love, submission, and humility. I'm going to have you look with me at Leviticus 19 and frame that around the words love, submission, and humility. So here we are in verse 22. Love, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and enduring, the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It can shape how we live. And this was the word that was preached to you. And then he says, therefore, look at this example of holiness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, then you'll be holy. Rid yourselves of all deceit, you'll be holy. Rid yourselves of hypocrisy, you'll be holy. Rid yourselves of envy, you'll be holy. Rid yourselves of slander of every kind, you'll be holy. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that you can grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. People of God, this is the word of God. Okay, now slide five. There we go. Try to break it down. What I want you to see, what I just read, I'm, I'm going to focus this morning now on verses 13, 14, 15. So we have hope, three times hope, but I want you to think where hope, flourishing hope comes from. It starts with a healthy mind. And many of us aren't readers, I understand that. But if you can listen to podcasts, let me give you some authors, some speakers. Listen to Caroline Leaf, L-E-A-F. Listen to Dr. Daniel Amen, A-M-E-N. Listen to Dr. Kurt Thompson. Listen to people who are talking about the absolute power of brains and brain cells, we used to think brain cells would never replenish. Your brain can keep changing and growing and be affirming and moving forward. You can change how you think. You can focus. Where you focus is your decision. And if I'm binging on whatever, binging on something that's just negative, all that's going to form in my brain is negative, 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 hopeless despair. Where's the hope? Now, what I'm trying to suggest this week is if we don't have hope, believing that Christ gave us our salvation, 
He's gonna give us more of his spirit and power. He's gonna make all things. If we don't believe that, then we just move into this kind of a holiness. Well, you better not do that. So the example I'll use this week and next is simple. In my family of origin growing up, alcohol was terrible. We had three rules about holiness. Don't, get, don't drink, don't have sex before you're married, and go to church. That was holiness. And as long as we did that, we were good, holy kids. I haven't told my parents that all of our sons drink alcohol. So in our, I have five brothers. None of us drink alcohol. I have four sons, and they all drink alcohol. So who's holy? Grandpa and Grandma, my parents, are Kyle and Clay and Caleb and Kirk holy? Or are they not because they drink alcohol? See, as we start moving into this, it's, and if we don't have hope, if we're not thinking hope, it just becomes rules. Well, you're in, you're out, you're good, you're bad, that's right, that's wrong. Now, as a marginalized people, how much conversation are we going to have in culture if that's how we're going to live? And that's why holiness needs to be driven by love, agapao, and phileo. It has to be marked by submission. It has to be marked by, by humility. Because as those become part of our lives, living with this hope, we can be people who flourish and people want to be with us. So, slide six. Unpack a little bit. If our minds are rightly grounded in hope, for verse one, chapter one, verse three, chapter one, verse 13, chapter one, verse 21, and our conduct is rightly directed by holiness, verses 14 to 15, how will we flourish? So I'll start unpacking this in the coming weeks. Graciously expressing a sincere love. Voluntarily submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Kindly serving others. If we do those things, we absolutely will flourish in this culture. We will have hearing and opportunities all over the place. But if we decide we're going to do this, we, we might as well just close up the shop now. In my family, my sons drink alcohol. Grandpa and Grandma. No, no. This, this, family story. My mom, my dad was so convinced that alcohol was a problem, and part of it comes out of his experience as a young pastor. He often served uh, in, in areas of homelessness and alcohol abuse, skid rows in different cities we lived in. And to reinforce in our, our minds, our son's minds about holiness with alcohol, he took us to skid row. So we bore six, four, two, and one. We'd go with him. My dad would preach, and we'd see men who were intoxicated who were living very difficult lives. Without saying a word, my dad was saying, you don't want to do that. That's unholy. That's wrong. That's evil. You want to stay away from it. He never said a word. Just showed it to us. So how would my mom and dad respond? And they don't know this. And they don't use the internet, so they won't find out. <laughs> if our sons consume alcohol. So if, if we're driven by a hope, Christ has risen. Christ has given us this salvation Christ is returning to make all things right and good. Can we step into culture and say, I'm going to love people I don't understand? Remember the word agapao, there are four words for love in the Greek New Testament. The word agapao means to will the good of another. Listen to this now. 
That word has zero feelings in it. Zero. Eros, storge, phileo all carry emotions. Agape has zero. I'll give you a verse with this word. For God so loved the world. For God so agaped. You think God said, well, I love people who are going to reject me. I feel so good. They're going to kill my son. They're going to reject him. They're going to give me the finger, and most of them are going to want to go to hell. That's just going to be the best thing. I love this world so much. Really? He made a decision to love people, many of whom don't want his love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him, whoever, gets life. Next slide, please. So here's some questions as we start thinking about living out of hope and living into holiness. I'll bring these back next week. But as you think about your decisions, your choices, could you think about these questions? And I'll bring them back in the next few weeks. For example, could, could you just take a, take a moment to think about something that for you uh, raises questions about holiness? Could you just think about some situation, some relationship, some decision that, that will call into question holiness for you? Here's some questions. So does the choice I'm going to make conform to the character of Jesus? Is the choice I'm going to make conform to the character of Jesus? Second one, does the choice I'm making reveal an appropriate response to the marvel of our salvation? I mean, you know, so many of us have lost loved ones. You know, you know, you know what keeps us going? Lane and I, just, we're just sad all the time. But we're sad and we have joy. And in the sadness, we keep telling ourselves, we, our son is great. He's with Jesus. It's all good. But I have to, we have to just keep thinking about the marvel of our salvation, what Christ has done. Do you think about that? As you think about making decisions around holiness, do you think about the marvel of what Christ has done? And the last one is, will this choice stand up to scrutiny, scrutiny on the day Christ returns? I want to talk about that one more time, though, because i got so many emails about this. I want to make sure that you're all on the same page on this one. So, for believers, oh, sorry about this. Sorry, I'm blocking you over here. Forgive me for that. Remember now, let's pretend Christ has come back. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to stand before Jesus. Can I just remind everyone, everyone who is a follower, committed disciple of Jesus, when you stand before him, he will not judge your salvation. You are saved by grace, not by faith, not by works that anyone boasts. If you have lived a life in relationship with Christ, the judgment is not about where you will spend eternity. It is not. Let me say it again. Judgment is not where you spend eternity. Judgment is, how did you live? Kevin, how did you handle the income I gave you? The relationships, the jobs, the people. That is what will be judged. And I will be, you'll be rewarded or not rewarded according to what we have done. Is that a marvelous salvation? It's not like, I talked to someone this week. The guy's been in church his whole life. And he says to me, if I die, I hope I get in. 
Come on, dude. If you have a relationship with Christ, it's just as if you've never sinned. Justification, right? Yes? Hallelujah. So you don't have to worry about judgment. When you got rewarded for what you've done, you want to say, Jesus, I give it back to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what we're looking forward to. New heaven, new earth, no more suffering, no more pain, no more abuse, no more broken relationships, no more pollution. No, no, no. It's all going to be yes. Everything is yes. That's the hope we focus on. If we have the hope, then we can say, with love, in humility, and submission, Lord, by your spirit, help me to live a holy life. And we do it together. Back to the uh, duck geese. Yeah. We're, we're, just, we're just honking. Keep going. Keep going. Cling to hope. Cling to hope. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen. Lord, we want to say thank you that that is indeed true. And so we, again, say we place our trust in you. We long to follow you. We want to obey you out of love. So we pray your spirit would move mightily. We pray that your goodness could be expressed in us in beautiful ways. And pray that our lives together and our lives alone might give voice to Jesus Christ, our living hope. We pray in his name. Amen.